The scripture for today's sermon comes from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. The word of God speaks to us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give, them, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. This is God's word to us. Thank you, CJ. Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. It's good to be with you. My name is Dave, one of the pastors here at Frontline Church, and I want to not only greet those of you who are in the room, but uh, was reminded recently that uh, we have a lot of people that listen online later on as these message or messages are posted, and uh, it's just making me think of uh, people I love and appreciate who are dealing with sickness, That uh, some maybe just a passing sickness, some really grappling with um, serious sickness that can't be with us. And just, um, I know I speak on behalf of all of you too. When I say for them to hear maybe tomorrow, um, we love you, we miss you. And also just aware that there are many people that, that listen week in and week out. Maybe you haven't been to church in a long time, um, but uh, it, it, it was uh, put before me that often some of those folks, just if, if you haven't been to church gathered in a minute, you know, that it's kind of like when you know you should send a thank you note and then you don't, and then you're like, I think there's a threshold that's passed, and now I just feel weird about this. Um, and we can start to, like, build up, like, shame or anxiety or whatever, and I just want to express, first and foremost, God's heart, um, humbly, and our heart as a church, that, like, anybody can always come and be with us and not feel embarrassed or uh, anything about coming to church gathered. We love you. We'd love for you to be a part um, of the church. So as weird as that is to like speak into the future through a podcast. Um, anyway, that's just what we did, and it was hopefully helpful. Uh, we are continuing in our series in Advent, and so let me pray for you. You pray for me. We pray with one another for one another. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment. As we reflect on gifts, we recognize that this moment's a gift. Your word, we get to be together. Your grace. And so we ask that Holy Spirit, as you speak, you would help us listen. Holy Spirit, would you help me just bless my friends? We pray this, Jesus, in your name. God's people said, amen, amen. As we've been talking about the last several weeks, like Advent is all about longing. Advent's all about longing to see promises of God fulfilled. And, and what we believe as Christians is that not that God set the world into motion and then stepped back, 
But, but the creator of all things actually is a God who deeply, because he is love, cares. And, and the story of God and his creation and humanity is that although it is broken, not because of anything he did, but because of, of the, re, the rebellion of his very creation against his rule and his good design and his love, that God did not just dust his hands off and step away and start over again, but in the essence of who he is, love, the story of God and his creation is one of pursuit and restoration. And so from the beginning of the Bible, we have a recorded history of God making promises about his pursuit, his restoration. At the beginning, he promises the, a special birth of a special child. At the beginning in, in Genesis 3, that promise comes through a promise that, that there will be a baby who will be born, and in a real way, he's going to stomp out evil, that he's going to crush the head of the enemies of God. Later on to Abraham, God promises that he would receive a child and that through that birth, that God's doing something grand, far beyond just the birth of of him actually receiving a son in his old age, that God's doing this cosmic, magnificent thing for all creation and that it's about a light shining into the darkness of the world. Romans tells us that Abraham believing God means that that was credit to him as a righteousness. And all through the Old Testament, all through Scripture, we have just these recorded moments of God making promises. Isaiah the prophet, he prophesied that there would be a child who would be born, a Messiah, a special Savior, and that he would be an eternal king. His rule would never come to an end. And so all throughout recorded redemptive history, you have people that are hearing these promises and believing that God is a promise keeper and then standing and living in longing and hope and assurance that God keeps his promises. And so they live in longing to see those promises fulfilled. But also all through redemptive recorded history, that are, there are people that, that hear those promises and carry them for a while and lay them down or choose to to believe, and they they don't believe that God is a God who keeps his promises. But what we meet in the Christmas story is, is people who are people of longing, people that are longing to see the promises of God fulfilled. Mary and Joseph, humbly, quietly longing. You go and read in the beginning of Luke, Mary's song, and that strikes you. That's a song that resounds from this amazing young woman. And and what you hear from her heart is a collision of her longings and the promises of God being fulfilled. And it pours out in praise. Elizabeth and and Zechariah, the parents of John the Baptist, they, they had even prayers that they had forgotten and thought that they had laid down in many ways that deep in the embers of their heart were still longings for God to fulfill his promises. You have sweet people that are part of the Christmas story in in the latter years of their life, like Simeon and Anna in the temple, and they're faithful people of longing, living in hope and expectation of seeing God fulfill his promises. You have stories of wise men traveling Incredible distances. Why? Because they're men of longing, believing that God keeps his promises, and they're following the promptings and the leadings of the Holy Spirit to see the the fulfillment of God's promises and the birth of this Savior. And yet today, remembering God kept his promise and celebrating the birth of Jesus, as we look back 2,000 years ago, Christmas still today is about a promise. 
And we're still called to long for God to fulfill his promises. And that's been one of the things that we've been focusing on during the season of Advent as a church. That we do, yes, want to celebrate the birth of Jesus in profound ways. And yet we also want to look back in faith, but look forward in hope and continue to be people of longing. Not that just Jesus came once, but Jesus will come again. Yes, the Savior was born. Yes, the Savior did die. Yes, the Savior did rise after three days. Yes, the Savior did ascend into heaven and take his throne. That's all profoundly great news that we need to celebrate, and yet the story's not over. And in Advent, we're intentionally standing in a place where we're looking ahead and longing and saying God is not near finished keeping his promises. They're big, epic, profound Cosmic promises that are yet to be fulfilled. And so what does it mean to long for those promises? The Advent's more than just celebrating the birth of Jesus. It's anticipating that Jesus will come again. And so it might seem strange that this second, uh, excuse me, this last Sunday that we gather for 2022, that we maybe historically would be in, in places in the Bible like, the first chapter of John, talking about the word becoming flesh and the, the beauty and the power of who Jesus is. Traditional Christmas stories that are wonderful that we ought to, to meditate on and read this time of year. Shepherds in fields and, and wise men traveling to, to give gifts to the Savior. All these things are important, and yet it's also good to look at a scripture like CJ just read, Revelation 21, because it's going to help put before us the longings that we're called to, profound promises of Jesus, even promises of a new heavens and a new earth. So that's the first thing that we need to look at together, the promise of Advent. The promise that we long for during Advent is a promise that heaven will come down. Did you catch that as, as we read it this morning? Look again at verse 2. Let me read it again for us. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And there's so much going on here that, that there's a ton to take in. And, and Revelation is this unique book in the Bible where it's just a collision and a beautiful mixture of all these different metaphors. And so as we take in all the profound beauty and power of this book, it's easy to, to, to miss some things. And yet, just let's look and focus on two words that might be easy to look over, coming down. The promise of coming down that's made in Scripture here is at the heart of what we should long for at Christmas. And actually, if we grasp that reality, coming down, what that means, that has the power to, to change our life and our perspective and our, our very longings. See, in this moment, God is giving John the Apostle a vision of the future, the end of history, the very end of time. And what does he see at this summit, this climax, this crescendo of what God is doing and his promises? It's not individual souls escaping earth and going to be in heaven with God. What God is showing John is God bringing heaven down to transform his creation and renew the earth. It's a promise of a perfection, a healing of the material world. Now, I don't know when you think of eternity and you think of glory, you think of heaven, you, you might think of something that's along the lines of like uh, just, you know, a, a, a 
bad piece of art with little chubby children with wings flying around. You might think of something kind of funny like that you saw in a Simpsons episode, which seems just epically boring with, you know, us hovering six inches off the ground in clouds. And and we're looking here at Scripture, and it's clearly telling us, hey, the Bible doesn't promise some pie in the sky when we die, future vision of eternity. What we see here is the people of God adorned in glory, united with Jesus, and like the beauty of and, and, and the powerful moment of a bride coming down the aisle to be joined to her husband who is, is her bridegroom who is full of love and anticipation to be with her. That's the type of union that's happening as the church, God's people, are coming to experience a, a, a physical, tangible restoration and renewing of the earth. This is stuff that we're familiar with, but perfect. This is the promise of barbecues and hugs and parties and gatherings around the table. Things that we long for, things that we're going to experience here in the coming week, but perfect. Perfect because it's renewed by, by God, but perfect because God's there. And isn't that what heaven is, where God is? This world, but this world made perfect. Let's look again at verse 1. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. That's not to say that there will literally be no bodies of water in the new earth. That Biblically, the sea is, is, is language that represents a sea being chaos and danger. And John's saying, hey, the picture of God coming and making all things new, bringing a new heaven and a new earth, and, and Jesus ushering heaven down to earth, it's going to bring about the end of chaos, the end of everything broken, the end of disorder. Everything that threatens our life and our flourishing is done away with forever. We're longing for a world that we've never had. We all feel that. And and John's passing on this promise that was revealed to him by Jesus. Hey, this is the world that's coming for us. And look at the best part. Look at verse 3. Now the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. You, know, you, you go and you read the Gospels, and, and the beauty of the promise and the proclamation of Christmas is what? His name is Emmanuel, Jesus, a God with us. The presence of God is, again, with us, humanity. And, and the promise here that we're invited to long for is, hey, there's a day coming where Christmas is forever. The Emmanuel is, is, is permanent where God for all eternity is with his people, God with us. Our relationship with God is fully restored, fully healed, and we are truly fully home for the first time because we're with our Savior and our King. And the promises go on. What does that look like? Verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. We see in the beginning of Scripture this beautiful account of God creating the earth in a way that that his desire was to, to be with humanity. 
He made all things good, and then he created humans to live in communion, peace, and perfect purpose in a loving relationship, communion with him. And yet we, we see in Genesis 3 that that relationship is broken. The Bible calls that sin. It's a rejection, a rebellion, a, a distrust that God is, is, is a loving Savior that wants the best for us. And the lie is that, hey, God's holding out on us, that there's something better. And, and so our, our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they run from God. And as they run from God, they rebel against him. This, this perfect communion's broken. They sinned against God. And, and that's our nature and our choice, and we've walked that same path. And that sin doesn't just mean, though, that our relationship with God is broken. Sin breaks our relationship with everything. You see that in Adam and Eve's relationship with one another. For the first time, there's, there's fear and anxiety. And there's distrust and blame, and they hide in shame. And their relationship with the world falls apart, the physical world. They begin to experience aging and disease and death. And you see just the very next chapter, Genesis 4, two brothers that should keep one another and love one another. A big brother actually murders his younger brother. This is the trajectory of running from God. It's running towards hurt and death and darkness. When your relationship with God falls apart, all other relationships fall apart. But this is the promise. This is what we've seen in Jesus, and this is what he's promising that will be fully known when he comes back and makes all things new, when we have a new heavens and a new earth, that our relationship with God is fully put right, and every other relationship will be put right, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. There's this book that I'm beginning to read right now called uh, um, Everything Sad Untrue. It's a story of uh, a family of Iranian refugees that come to Oklahoma. And the author, writing about his mother, just talks about the, the hope in which she lived. And he says about her, hey, what you believe about the future actually dictates how you live in the present. What you hope for, what you believe about what the future holds dictates how you live in the present. And, and Revelation, you know, sometimes we can take this book and think it's like some code that we have to decipher. And we forget that, like, look, this was a, a letter written to real people 2,000 years ago that were on the cusp of facing unimaginable suffering and hardship. And inspired by the Holy Spirit, revealed by, by, by the Son of God, truth and, and, and the future and, and the promises of God and the longings that we, that we are gifted to, to look forward to, the hope that we have in the future. God gives that to John so John can pass it on to these early churches so that when they are going through what feels like hell on earth and they're going through the first intentional persecution of Christians where they're suffering unimaginable things, they have this, this real promise promise of the future that, that they get to long for, that, hey, there is a day coming where Jesus is going to return in victory, and everything sad will be wiped away. That's coming. That's on its way. The curse of sin is going to be fully reversed, and that means that, that look, there isn't any, the, the, the long promise, the end game is not that you get pulled out of this world and escape, but God is actually going to come into this world and bring heaven to earth and that is what, in the midst of going through hell, that's the, the, the hope that is assured to you, that God, who's a promise keeper, is, is laying out the future and giving you a glimpse that in the midst of this, this suffering that you're going through, that how you live presently should be shaped by what you know is going to come. 
And so when I'm meditating on this this week, when I'm praying through this this week, like I'm asking myself and I'm considering for you all as well, if you're anything like me, like if this is a gift, this, this promise, if this is reality, this, this is the, the hope that we have assurance that God will continue to keep his promises and this is what we have in store, like why is it actually so difficult for me and I know many of us to live lives of longing like I know that we should? Why is it so easy to, to celebrate that Jesus has come for the first time, but why is it often so difficult to live a life of longing that he's going to come a second time? Which brings us to the second thing I just want us to consider together, which is our problem with Advent. See, I think the problem that I often struggle with, and I suspect that we often struggle with, is this. We have a problem with longing for something to come in the future because we have like a warped, unrealistic expectation that, that actually what what our life should look like now is paradise. That paradise should happen in the present, that heaven should happen here and now. And the problem is the world that we long for deep down is not this world. The, the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation 21 is the promise of the world to come, but not the present world that we know. That world is on its way, but the world is, is broken as we know. The world is, is a world full of pain, where evil is present, where death is a reality. And, and many of our struggles and problems in this life, at least I know for me, but if you're anything like me, is due to the fact that we have an unrealistic, misguided expectation of the world in which we live. And this can be conscious, but most often it's probably subconscious. Think about our relationships. When we have people around us, a community that we expect so often, most of the time, that they really would be a perfect community that never lets us down, never hurts us, always does the right thing in just the right way. Or if we're married, we, we think about our spouse and our expectation is that they, even if it's subconscious, that they would really be a perfect spouse that knows what we need before we can even articulate it, Right? Or when we, when we have children, we expect that they're going like, to bend over backwards and go out of their way to obey and honor us. And we tend to be kind of shocked when they're imperfect. And if they were perfect, wouldn't that kind of put us out of a job as parents, right? Or let's not let you kids off the hook. Don't you expect your parents to be perfect and that they would always be super cool and always understand and be forever fair, or we think about our vocations or our callings or our jobs that we'll get the perfect amount of encouragement and honor and every aspect of everything we do is going to be totally fulfilling. And when our job isn't perfect, we tend to be scandalized or shocked or, or at least cynical about that. And it's because we have these, I think deep down in Edmund in 2022, these unrealistic expectations that life should be constantly comfortable or at least overall easy with no financial crisis or no visits to the emergency room or no job loss or no wayward kids because deep down we, we somehow bought into some lie that now is the world as it exists as it is that it should be heaven here. It should be paradise in the present. And so we can live lives then where we're frantically like rushing and scheming and planning and plotting to try to cultivate, right, this Instagram life where things look beautiful. They are beautiful, that they're perfect in every way and we 
wear ourselves out. And we buy things and we go places to try to experience this, not just for the sake of enjoying it as a good gift, but in some warped, rooted reality that, that we're chasing heaven here and now and, and we're stuffing ourselves with things in a way that we, we actually rob ourselves for a hunger for a paradise to come. And so here's the danger in all this and, and, and a danger that I often get a front row seat to in pastoral ministry is that when we inevitably don't experience heaven in this life and paradise in the presence, it, present, it leads to this disappointment or cynicism where we can go about an upheaval in our life that's really damaging. Hey, my marriage isn't perfect. It doesn't feel like paradise or heaven. Maybe actually I need a new spouse. Or a, a job offer comes that offers, you know, a raise and, and more, more money. And, of course, that means that I can buy more things or experience more places. And so on the altar of a 5 or 10% raise, I can sacrifice a, a city that I feel called to or a gospel community that I'm a part of. And, and really, what are those things in com- compared to a little bit more money in the bank? Why would I turn down a raise? No one does that. Maybe I need a new car that will make my life better. Maybe I need a bigger house or a new job or cooler friends or a new spouse or a new church or whatever it is. And we're, we're frantically trying to experience perfection here and now. And then we're actually tearing down good gifts or neglecting graces. And all the while, what we're chasing, perfection in heaven here and now, it, 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 we always cannot grasp it because Jesus is really clear that, hey, there is a place where the grass is greener, but it's in heaven and it's going to come here one day. It's not these, these changes that we're constantly making, but it has to do with the longings that are God-given longings that there is a earth to come, a heavens to come that Christ will bring. And yet we forget about that and we, we navel gaze or we look down in the wrong direction when we should be looking up in expectation for a future that's promised in Christ. And so when a child rebels or we get a a bad report for a a doctor or the thing that I know many of us have experienced this year where the dream of of a loving relationship comes to an end where we're experiencing a nightmare of, of being at a funeral of somebody we love, like before us, you have to live four years. You know, my four-year-old boy knows this to be true, that like things are not as they ought to be. And yet, instead of longing and anticipation for Jesus to fulfill the promises he made, we can in a way run from, from the promises of Jesus and in our own effort to try to bring about heaven here and now. And, and heaven never can be experienced without Jesus. So this is the reality, that there is a better world and a better life, but it can't be found here yet. It's on its way. And don't get me wrong that, that we should be about improving our lives in, in, in gospel-centered ways, that we should be good caretakers of God's gift. We should be making an effort to, to follow Jesus into what he promises here and now is abundant life and fighting for God's kingdom and pushing back darkness. 
But Paul says when we live this way in in 1 Thessalonians that it's actually living in sobriety. It's seeing clearly, meaning that that we ought not to be, we can't really be pessimists if we're citizens of the kingdom of God. There are no Eeyore Christians, right? They're just always like, oh, everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket, right? No, actually clear faith is, is being like something that's beyond optimistic to be rooted in a way that's saying, hey, I'm not a utopianist thinking that through human effort I can bring about paradise. I see things clearly. I'm rooted in reality that this world isn't as it should be, but I have a hope that the assurance that I stand in is that Jesus keeps his promises and his best promises are yet to come, that he's going to come back and then there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And that this world is full of beauty and wonder and yet it is broken by sin and God is at work in the midst of this brokenness. And this world as it is until Jesus returns is never going to give us what we long for. C.S. Lewis put it this way in Mere Christianity, chapter 11. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for what? Another world. And Jesus made it clear when he was getting ready to go to the cross the night before to his disciples. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And then plainly he says, in this world you will have trouble. Heaven is not here and now. He goes on to say, take heart. I've overcome the world. So how do we deal with our longing problem? It's it's really simple. The third thing I want us to see is we just need to remember the person of our Advent. See, Advent to me, since I didn't grow up in the tradition, I don't know if you can relate to this, it seems often like abstract. And I'm like, am I doing this right? This seems weird and ancient. And like, it's hard to like, what am I, this is confusing, right? Words, I don't like candles. You know, there's just a lot going on, right? And it's like, it's, let me just simplify it for us, right? It's all about Jesus, <laughs> Advent is very personal to our hearts in a way, but but more than that, what what I mean by Advent being personal is it's about one person. It's just about longing to, to know and follow Jesus. And Jesus is so helpful in this scripture because he makes it clear, like, this is all about me. Your longings are all about me. Verse five, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. He also said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it's done. I, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. See, the message of Christmas is so beautiful. The message of Christmas is is the message that perfection, paradise, heaven invaded earth. It appeared on earth in Jesus See, heaven showed up on earth in the person of Jesus, and we got to experience and see what this world is destined to become. When Jesus calms the storm in the boat with his friends, that's just a glimpse of the promise to come that that the disorder of creation will be actually brought under the rule of God. When Jesus feeds a huge crowd gathered to to hear him, that is just a glimpse of the future that one day there will be no hunger and injustice and suffering. 
When Jesus heals the sick, that's just a, a glimpse that one day sickness will be eradicated. When Jesus casts out demons, and you see all through the gospel, especially Mark, in his presence, they just freak out in terror. That is just a glimpse of what is to come, that, that one day it's foreshadowing the inevitable reality that every power of darkness will fully fall, finally. When Jesus raises the dead, it's a view into the truth that one day death will be no more. There will be a death of death. And for those in Christ, we'll never have to say goodbye to those that we love. And when Jesus rose from the dead, it's a glimpse into the future and glory that's to come for everyone who loves and trusts Jesus. After the resurrection of Jesus all through the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the first fruits. The first fruits. We have blackberries in our backyard, and I love when, when that first amazing blackberry is ready to like pluck off the vine, right? And so that language is saying, look, Jesus is, is the vanguard, the front line, the first of, of when, he, when you see his resurrection, that is a glimpse into the, the future glory of everything that he will accomplish, that he is the firstborn among the dead, and that a, a, a actual tsunami wave of life is coming. And that there was, there's new life for those in Christ, there's new life for all of creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus, we see what this world is destined for. And so on Christmas, we celebrate the joy that, that Jesus invaded the earth, the, the joy of the arrival of Christmas, the joy that is here and now through the power of the Holy Spirit. But we also are invited to look. We're charged. We must look ahead to the second coming of Jesus so that we can experience joy. Advent means that, that when Jesus says, I'm making all things new, that we're looking forward to the day that death is dead. When Jesus says, it is done, that means that we're looking forward to the assurance that, that Jesus' enemies will be defeated and the church will be forever saved. When Jesus says that I'm the Alpha and the Omega, we're, we're standing in hope and looking forward to what the, the person who stands beyond the universe and even the constraints of time, the, the one who everything began with and will end with in all of his power. He is making promises, and he's making promises saturated with grace that are free gifts. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. That means the deepest longings of our soul are longings for love and, and value and to belong, and that our lives would last, that all the deepest longings of our soul are fully satisfied in the waters that come from this king. And so, as we wrap up this, this final Sunday of Advent, practically, what, is, what does that mean for us? Like, where do we go? What do we carry? What are we invited to as a church? One verse came to mind as I was praying through that for us, and it's something that Peter wrote to the church in his, his letter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Peter writes this, talking about the second coming of Jesus. Peter writes, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So Peter's saying that as we anticipate and long for the second coming of Jesus, that is 
jet fuel poured onto the fires of joy in our life, that there's a joy that eager expectation brings. And the examples of this are like constantly in front of our face this week, right? Anybody who's around children or has children or is kind of childlike like me, we, we, we experience this, right, with every gift wrapped under the tree and you just go buy it and you pick it up. My kids get up in the morning, they plug in the Christmas tree and it's not even gifts that have to be to them, it can be to Anna and they're just like, picking it up and joyful anticipation. What can this be? Anna is, is here. She can, I don't know if this is true or not, but this week, this is what I suspect happened because there was, there was, there was fishiness around the encounter. But I came into one of our rooms and she was putting something in uh, a dress-up chest that our kids have. It's like full of dress-up clothes, right? And so she's shutting the lid and I come around and, and she looks up and she smiles real big and she gets a little flush and she says, hi, which is weird because I'd been around her all day. So it's like, why are you saying hi? And, you know, we've been married for a while, so I think it's been a minute since I just walk in and she gets flush, you know? And it was... it. I just busted her, I think, hiding a gift for me. It's what I expect, right? And so did I, did I go find it? Of course I did. No, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't go find it because why? I'm, at this point, I'm old enough and wise enough to know that some of the joy, some of the best part about the joy of this season is the anticipation of receiving good things, right? Good gifts of this world are a foretaste. They're just, they help us with joy and eager anticipation. And what we are invited to in Advent is, is experiencing what Paul says, or what Peter says, is a joy beyond words of anticipating the good gifts that are still to come in Christ Jesus. So every present received is just a little glimpse of that anticipated joy. When we, when we are looking forward to being with people we love, really homecomings this year, if you have people that are going to come home or you're going to come home and the joy that that reunion captures, like why we love homecoming so much is because we're destined in our depths, in our being for an ultimate homecoming. And those homecomings are just a, a taste of what's to come. And so the invitation, the charge for us as a church is to, to carry this in our hearts. This is the end of Scripture. This last Sunday we gather for a year. It's fitting that we, we look at this final Scripture, Revelation 22, verses 20 through 21. And John tells us, he who testifies to these things, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. The proclamation of a king on his throne, surely I'm coming soon. And John's response to that and how we all must respond to that, four words, amen. Yes, so be it, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So as we, as we celebrate Christmas, let's look back in faith, but let's look forward in hope with the, with the promise of Jesus ringing in our hearts, surely I'm coming soon, and we live lives that proclaim a response that says, amen, come Lord Jesus. Let's stand and pray.